It's time for another episode of Dynasty Oasis podcast. Here are your hosts, Matt Newts and Josh Adkins. Welcome to the Dynasty Oasis podcast. My name is Matthew Newts. You can find me on Twitter at Nasty Newts. And with me today, as always, is Josh Adkins at Dynasty Oasis on Twitter. How's it going, Josh? It's a great Monday. Watched a lot of football this weekend. Uh, suffice it to say, the uh, game with the, all the hype was not the best football game I watched this weekend. Um, unfortunately, that is. Uh, I, I think we should start this show by saying this is episode 45 of the Dynasty Oasis podcast. We're almost to 50 episodes, but um, episode 45 syncs up pretty nice with Devin White's performance last night. He was uh, all over the place, and it seems like I heard the, the, you know, the term superstar thrown around with him maybe more so than anybody else. I think he kind of had... Uh, a coming out party, at least to the rest of the world. I think most of us in IDP and um, hardcore football fans knew how good Devin White was, but uh, he really showed it out last night. Yeah, we knew it, uh, that he was an absolute superstar at that position. I already had him as my number one linebacker in all of the NFL, so didn't surprise me. Certainly didn't surprise you since you uh, predicted him to be the uh, – MVP of the game in our prop bet challenge last episode. So we were both on Devin White, you know, for a long time. You took him in our rookie draft of our contract league <laughs> in the second round because we have an IDP element in our league. So you've been on Devin White all along. Um, I love him as well. So yeah, he definitely uh, shined as he has really all year long. Yeah, if you remember back to that draft, actually, it went Devin. Devin White, Devin Bush, and Devin Singletary to close the the second round of that uh, that rookie draft in one of our contract leagues. Uh, so I'll, I'll always remember that because it was triple Devin to end it off. Um, so on the show tonight, we've got uh, a couple grade the trades. Both me and Newt's are uh, always active in leagues. We made a couple trades this week that we'll kind of break down and discuss um, from both angles. Um, and you have a, a new post out on the website. Why don't you talk about that for a second? Yeah, just a couple of hours ago, I posted a quick little blog. Uh, it's like a seven-minute read, eight-minute read. So uh, worth worth your time. I wanted to break down who the, the QB2 is in this rookie class. There's going to be a lot of debate, and there already has been a lot of debate between Trey Lance, um, uh, Zach Wilson, and uh, Justin Fields. Who, sh- who should you take after Trevor Lawrence, uh, especially in Superflex Leagues? Trevor Lawrence is going to be the first guy off in 99% of leagues. So uh, there's a lot of, a lot of questions about who's the next guy to go. And in super flex leagues, you don't want to wait on quarterback. You got to make that a big priority. So these I think are going to be picks two, three, and four in most super flex rookie drafts. So trying to figure out the right order for these guys. I wrote about all three of them and I, I ranked them. So I got a, I got a top three out of those uh, second-tier quarterbacks, and uh, hopefully you check it out and see my opinion, see if you agree or disagree. And I think it's a good conversation. You know, uh, one thing we should mention is is uh, they're not up just yet, but by the time most of you listen to this, we will have our uh, current for the 2021 rookie draft uh, rankings up on the website. Um, so definitely go check out Newt's post and go check out those rankings. Uh, the reason I bring it up, is when I was so we do single quarterback rankings by the way they're not for superflex but I was just sort of rearranging this board in my mind had we you know had to do this for superflex and essentially really all that changes is all four quarterbacks go to the top of the board with Trevor Lawrence in a tier of his own so I think this conversation of who's the next guy and is there any separation because in one quarterback the separation to me is I think Justin Fields is ready to start right away and he will start right away Whereas Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, as you go down the board, I feel like they're less and less likely to give you production in year one. But in Superflex, you don't really care about that nearly so much. And you're probably going to take the talent that's best. Um, For me right now, I guess that's Trey Lance. Do you have a a, a feeling of who you project to be the best starter in five years? I don't want you to ruin anything from your article, but... I I really like Trey Lance a lot. And for me, I don't have these three separated by much. Uh, Landing spot could switch my order from Mm -hmm. two to four, you know, completely backwards. Uh, There's a way Trey Lance climbs to my QB two. I currently have him at QB four. I have Wilson at three and and Fields at two, just like you do in your ranking. So we don't differ there. I, I, I came away from film on all three of these guys, liking all three of them more. So I'm, I'm very impressed by all three. I feel like all three of them are pretty much 
can't miss. I hate to say that, but (laughs) my level of confidence in the three of these guys all being very good NFL quarterbacks is high. So I don't think you can go wrong. If you want to argue a different order than what I have, I'm not going to fight you on it too much. Um, The guy that I do like the most, though, is Justin Fields. And unless he ends up in a a, a kind of a crappy organization, I think he's going to stay there. But you could convince me otherwise if, if if you try hard enough. Fair enough. And I, I think the other quarterback news we should hit real quick before we get to grade the trade is Carson Wentz. It seems like uh, the trade is imminent. Frankly, when you know the, the news came out this weekend, or I believe it was Friday night, that Chicago was very close to a deal, um, I sort of thought we'd have uh, a trade to discuss on this show tonight. Now, as of right now, we don't have any news, but it sounds like Indy and Chicago are the two teams um, most interested, at least. There's, there's possibly a third or fourth dark horse candidate, but um, those are the teams that have been rumored thus far. Is there a, a preferred spot? I mean, I think, did we both say Indy was our preferred spot for Wentz a couple of weeks ago when we discussed this? Yeah, I think for fantasy purposes, it remains Indianapolis. Chicago is not at all a preferred spot for me. Um, <laughs> the third team I've seen mentioned in some of these talks is Denver. Denver that yeah. was a team that I, I kind of wanted to see Wentz go to as well, just because I, I, I like so many of the guys on Denver. And for selfish reasons, I want Jerry Judy and Noah Fant to have a competent quarterback. Mm-hmm. And regardless of what you feel about Wentz, he did struggle a lot last year, but he's at a minimum competent. So Denver would make me happy for selfish reasons, but Indy would be the best place for him, I think, still. Yeah, and the asking price seems really high to me. I know the rumor on Friday was Chicago was giving up a first-round pick. Uh, I believe it was Nick Foles was going to go back to the Eagles, and they were going to give up some other offensive piece. Uh, my brain first jumped to Tariq Cohen, but you know he kind of went to Twitter to dismiss those rumors. It sounds like maybe it's Anthony Miller uh, is sort of the new you know guy that I've seen rumored to be the piece uh, along with the draft pick and Foles. Um, but again, this is all speculation. I wouldn't mind Chicago so much, uh, just because I own Darnell Mooney shares like crazy. Um, I do think Carson is going to do best in the Midwest. I think that's, you know, kind of coming back. I mean, Chicago is not North Dakota or Minnesota for, for that matter, but at the same time, um, uh, Chicago's Midwest, at least I think it's a place he'd feel comfortable in. Um, I think it's a place he could eventually be successful in, especially if it was something that could swing Allen Robinson, uh, to stay with a good defense still in place. Um, any other things on the Wentz before we get to grade the trade? No, I don't want to blow too much of my opinions right now before we actually <laughs> know where he's going to yeah, be. I will promise you yeah. when he moves, if he moves, I'll write a blog about it. My, my plan all offseason is to kind of evaluate all these quarterback changes. So anytime a quarterback switches teams, I'll write up on it. Uh, okay. just yep. a quick little analysis. So look forward to that. Hopefully if he moves this week, I'll, I'll get something up on the website pretty quick, but yeah, let's get into grade the trade. Uh, do you want to start with yours? Uh, yeah, well, mine's got some tentacles to it, so it's going to take a second. And, and by the way, for anybody listening, bear with me here. I know this is a lot to give up. Um, but I should mention on the front end, it's a contract league and I need to kind of clear some space. So, uh, here's the trade. I traded away Kareem Hunt. Juju Smith-Schuster, Michael Pittman, and TJ Hawkinson, and essentially got just Antonio Gibson in return. In fact, Todd Gurley was the other piece involved in the deal. Uh, He would have been a cap casualty, a cut for either of these rosters. Uh, So essentially, I paid $11 to this other uh, manager in order to get Gibson on my team. So it's essentially a five-for-one is the way you've got to look at it. Um, it seems like the value is significantly on one side, in my opinion. Um, but you know the rosters in this league. Um, you kind of know how this league operates. What did you think of the trade when you saw it? Yeah, if you just read these names off and you evaluate it from a dynasty standpoint where there's no limit on how long you can keep mm-hmm. players and all that good stuff, then, yeah, you gave up way more than you should. But for the format of this league, um, you got to fit into a salary cap. Um, yep. You've got really deep your your roster is really deep at wide receiver, so you can afford to give up Juju and Pittman. And I I just love Antonio Gibson as much as you do, so I don't fault you for giving up what you did. You've stated on the record that you're not nearly as high on T.J. Hawkinson yep. as as the community. So he was expendable to you. I think I like him a little bit more than you, but with the way Detroit's you know offense is kind of <laughs> shaping up right sure. now. I, I think it was a fine time to get out on him. I like the trade. It's 
it's probably paying a dollar twenty five for a dollar, but mm-hmm. um, I, th- I still think you got the best asset in the deal, which is always something I'm looking to accomplish in a trade. So I do like that part, and I, I obviously I'm over the moon for Gibson, so I understand why you paid such a high price. Well, and yeah, and I love Antonio Gibson, and and essentially the way this works out is he can be up to a five year contract for me. Um, so there's some longevity in the contract at a pretty affordable rate, I should say. And, you know, what? we're going to do some sort of evergreen contract episode, but sort of uh, the side benefit to this trade in terms of the contracts is so you mentioned that I do have depth at the wide receiver core, um, but I'm paying Chris Godwin a whole bunch of money. And prior to this deal, it was setting up that I was going to have three receivers who are on shorter term deals than Chris Godwin, who is getting max money. And the reason that that's important is that when those deals came up, I probably wasn't going to be able to afford to pay them. Um, Now, by moving these contracts around, even losing a little bit of value in the process, Chris Godwin is now my shortest contract um, at the wide receiver position. So all of these guys, the depth that I have stacked behind him um, is going to be something that I'm going to be able to at least consider, contemplate, extending through some of the, the rules we have for contract extensions in that league, uh, to potentially keep them via, you know, paying them sort of the Chris Godwin big money. Um, so that was one thing that I liked. Additionally, I'll mention I have nine and 10 in the draft in this league. Um, and I was really terrified of the idea of, uh, you know, Hawkinson was on this team. Obviously, I had Goddard and Herb Smith. Um, but I was terrified of the idea of Kyle Pitts um, being one of the guys that was sort of the best case scenario for me at 10. Um, or nine, that is, and, and uh, you know, he would have been my fourth tight end. And so I really just wanted to kind of move some value around in preparation of what potentially is going to be there at those two first-round picks that I have this year as well. Um, we, we spent a little bit of time on that one. Why don't you get right into yours? Uh, this was in a tight end premium league, correct? Yeah, it's a super flex tight end premium league. Super flex isn't relevant because there's no quarterbacks involved in the trade. But um, I gave up Irv Smith, uh, Paris Campbell, James Washington, Bryce Love, and I got Robert Tunyon, Trey Burton, Nikhil Harry, and Jordan Wilkins. Wilkins and Love are meaningless to me. It was just something the other guy wanted to mm-hmm. do. He asked for Dawson Knox. I asked if he would take James Washington instead, so I was happy that – Uh, I was able to keep Knox and give up Washington instead because Washington doesn't mean much to me. I like Campbell better than in kill Harry. Um, I don't think there's a huge difference in their value. If you ask the community though, neither one, I mean, Campbell, I guess is showing that. Yeah. I I mean, I've seen people that are Nikhil Harry truthers. I don't like him much. That's true. And, And I do like Paris Campbell and he's shown more to me on film Um, so I don't know losing him. I'm not happy to lose him, but I have a lot of depth at receiver, so it's palatable. I got the, the tight end. I like better in the, in the trade and, and Burton, you know, will be flex worthy in in this league with tight end premium rules. So I feel pretty good about it. I'll be honest. You could pretty much throw James Washington, Bryce Love, Trey Burton, Nikhil Harry, and Jordan Wilkins out of this trade. I don't really care about any of those assets. It's fine that they're, that they're there, I guess, you know, just to swap some players. This is really Irv Smith and Paris Campbell for Robert Tanyan. Now, you're, you're jumping a tier for me in tight end rankings with Robert Tanyan. Um, I definitely like James or uh, uh, Dawson Knox over James Washington, especially in tight end premium. Knox is a guy that I, um, I covet and I do value to some degree. Um, so that was smart. But at the end of the day, I think it's Paris Campbell and Irv Smith for Robert Tanyan. Um, I feel like the upside is on the other, uh, other team. Um, certainly this goes sideways if Tanyan were to move from Green Bay. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think Aaron Rodgers, assuming he's there, is going to lobby for big uh, Bob Tanyan to be back. So assuming that's the case, I do think at least for a year or two you win on this. And, you know, if Irv Smith never, you know, is able to hit the upside that we in the Dynasty community and the Debbie community before that when he was at Alabama, um, the upside that we see, you know, you win this trade running away. Um, I will say Paris Campbell has a pretty big cult following out there. I, I, I'm frankly one of them to some degree. We've seen almost I was coming into his rookie year. I was very high on him and I don't know. He's been hurt a bunch and I don't know. He's he's looked good when he's been out there, but being available is a skill in itself. Yes. A thousand percent it is. And he's not been available through two full seasons now in the NFL. Um, So unfortunate, but it's, it's gotta be part of the conversation at this point. Um, as we said, Super Bowl 55 was not exactly the most 
um, entertaining game. Um, certainly there's some big sort of legacy type uh, discussions that we could have with this game. Obviously, Tom Brady gets to number seven. Um, I think this was his fourth or fifth, excuse me, Super Bowl MVP. I might have that wrong, but uh, um, I'm pretty sure that's correct. Uh, he played great. Where do you want to start with the Super Bowl? What were your kind of your big takeaways from this game? Yeah, I mean, obviously the biggest stalker is Tom Brady. Um, mm-hmm. They're just the legacy builder that this game was. If he had any room to build his legacy, this was <laughs> one of the last things he probably felt he needed to do was get one without Bill Belichick. And Correct, he, yeah. he got one. And yeah, I think Belichick was probably the, the biggest loser of this game. <laughs> his legacy took a big hit and he wasn't even involved. But just a remarkable, remarkable career. I, I don't think enough can be said about Tom and I don't want to sound like a broken record with all the other football media there is out there, but just a, you know, phenomenal, unbelievable season for 43 year old best that's ever done. It. It's crazy. Um, I don't, I don't know. It's just insane to me how he was able to get another one with a brand new team. Well, he had protection. He had time. He had um, a good offensive line. They had a running game going. Mm-hmm. Uh, Leonard Fournette looked as good as he's looked. And and you know what? He's kind of done this throughout the last, I don't know, six, eight games of the regular season through the playoffs. Um, have you seen these glimpses of what we all got so excited about years one and two in Jacksonville? Um, and, you know, I think he made himself some money. I think he earned himself a spot back here. Actually, you know, Ronald Jones came out early in this game and to me looked like the better back. Um, had a nice run to, to on the second series to open the game up. Um, but then he dropped a little swing pass, you know, uh, about the second quarter, I want to say. And he saw very limited action after that. It was primarily Leonard Fournette, and he uh, took advantage of it. I think that they do look to, to potentially get better, especially at that pass-catching aspect at running back. But I think you can expect Leonard Fournette back in Tampa Bay if, if Tampa Bay can help it. What do you think about that? I agree. And yeah, Fournette was the biggest climber for me in dynasty value in this game. Mm-hmm. I, I thought this was likely a spot that they would try and maybe improve on this offseason. And now I don't feel like they need to. I just think as long as they bring back Fournette, they can make another run at another Super Bowl next year. I think he's perfectly fine for their offense. He's not a bad pass catcher. I think he led the Jaguars in receptions the year before. Um, He's capable. He he doesn't wow you with his hands, but he doesn't make a lot of those stone-handed drops like Rojo does. I think they'd be perfectly fine with Fournette. And, yeah, I think getting cut was all the motivation and a guy with his talent needed. He's gotten by, I think, far too long on just God-given ability for him to kind of get that wake-up call, I think, was the kick in the pants that he really needed. And, he he definitely uh, looked like kind of the player I wanted him to be coming into the league down the stretch this year. So uh, smart move by them. This this just felt like a crazy team building exercise all year long, just <laughs> bringing in guy after guy after guy and how are the pieces going to fit. And somehow they made them all fit. And uh, yeah, Fournette's a guy I think that's a buy right now. Uh, people might try and sell him because – yeah, he, he re- regained enough of his value. Like, okay, I can get out and feel fine about it. But you know what? If you were never invested in Fournette, yeah, go make an offer. Go buy him now. I think he's going to be the lead back here next year. That's where I would wager my money on. Yeah, no, I think I would too for week one. My question is, and I said this a couple weeks ago, can he hold up for 16 or can they count on him to hold up for 16? And if he's not, or if they can't, I should say, and – uh, they decide not to bring Ronald Jones back. Can they count on Keyshawn Vaughn to give them anything? Um, the way they played him, the way they've used him this year, uh, doesn't give me a lot of hope that that's what they're planning on doing. Um, I think you look at this team, and I know Shaq Barrett is an unrestricted free agent. Um, by the way, we're going to get into uh, divisional breakdowns. I think that's what we're going to do starting Thursday, and I think we're going to start with this division. They won the they won the Super Bowl. Let's start there. So we'll do the NFC South uh, on the Thursday show, and we'll kind of get into more of who's you know coming back and who can they sign and who can they afford. Um, but ultimately, I think you look at this team, and there's not a lot of holes. And so if they decided in the first or second round, you know what, the best player on the board is you know Travis Etienne or Javante Williams or Kenny Gainwell, frankly, I think maybe in the second round was kind of the guy that I'm thinking here. 
That would make a lot of sense if if I'm if I'm Tampa Bay. Um, you, you just you look at this roster and you go, how do you enhance it? How do you get better from where you were this year? And I think you know really stabilizing that pass catching running back for Tom Brady is where they potentially look. And you know there's not a bunch of holes everywhere else where they have to go get you know, a position of, of, of significant need. And so I just, I think that there is a possibility. What do you think about Keyshawn Vaughn? Is he a guy that you're buying? I mean, do you believe in him potentially gaining a 40% share of this backfield? Or do you think kind of like me, they're going to either have to draft or bring somebody in to kind of replace the role that he couldn't fill this year? Yeah. I'm not really a believer there. I'm, I mean, if you have them, I'd probably just hold them and see what happens. But I'm not advocating going out and buying him. I do believe the last time I checked, they had a fair amount of cap space. But, yes, they do have guys they're going to want to resign. So yep. uh, we'll have to wait and see how much <laughs> that eats uh, up their cap space. So at this point, I, I would expect them not to go out and make a big free agent splash at the running back position. But I could certainly yep. see them drafting one of those names you mentioned. Wouldn't shock me at all. So definitely something to keep an eye on and something we can dig a little deeper into on our Thursday show. I like that idea. Uh, on the other side, on the KC side, uh, Pat Mahomes, you know, God bless his heart. He tried like crazy out there. I saw a stat on Twitter today uh, that he ran 497 total yards throughout the course of this game, scrambling from pressure. Um, and that's, I mean, it, I, the, the knockdown numbers, the sack numbers, uh, they were all way up. We, we talked about that on the pregame show. Can Mike Remmers, and I, I'll be honest, I didn't even know coming into the pregame who was going to be the right tackle. It ended up being uh, Wiley, and they moved Wisniewski into the, the guard spot. N- really across the board, across that that entire offensive line, nobody could give uh, Mahomes uh, you know, a reasonable amount of time to throw. I thought the Tampa Bay defensive game plan was really good to play that cover two shell and, and force them to beat them with the run game, which... You know, if you want to be critical of, of the Chiefs, I think that's that's where you start is that, um, you know, teams have, you know, kind of been daring Kansas City to run the ball for a while. And they've just kind of stuck to, no, we can we can outgunsling you. And I think it kind of caught up with them this game. I think it had they tried to establish Clyde edwards alar earlier in the game, I, you know, he looked good to me. He looked healthy in this game. Um, I think that was a, a big mistake. What did you take away from the Kansas City side? Yeah, I agree, and it just reminds you how important the O-line is. Them losing their two stud tackles is just something they couldn't recover from against this swarming defense. Mahomes was constantly under pressure. They just couldn't do the what they do you know like right yeah they they probably would have been smart to try and just slow things down a little bit and establish a run but at a certain point your identity is what it is and i yeah. think they're gonna have to spend some time this offseason deciding um the direction of where they want what they want their offense to look like they spent a you know a first round pick the only team to draft a running back in the first round last mm-hmm. year and Clyde Edwards Alaire's production left a lot to be desired for his rookie season. So for that level of investment, why weren't they more committed to getting him involved in this offense? Was it something he was doing wrong? Was yeah. it just they got trapped into a, a tendency, whether consciously or not consciously? They need to uh, justify that investment, I think, and how they approach their offense going forward. And uh, maybe they need another receiver. Um Michael Hartman's nice, but I don't think yeah. he's a wide receiver too. I think he's just kind of a, a, a gadget guy for them. I, I think they need to replace Sammy Watkins with someone in the draft that can do something other than just provide speed. <laughs> I'm with that. And, you know, I've seen that mocked a lot of places. Kadarius Toney um, in that spot. I've seen Terrace Marshall in that spot. Um, a couple really kind of interesting, uh, you know, I think, I think you're right. I think, um, despite this game being bad along the offensive line, you know, they get uh, uh, Duvernay Tardif back next year, you would assume. Um, he'd be back from Canada, you know, working in the healthcare system, which is another guy, God bless his heart, for doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Eric Fisher, obviously, will it'll take him some time, I would think, coming off a torn Achilles late in the season. Um, you'd think they won't see him right away, but I think uh, he will be back at some point next year. So, I don't know that that's necessarily where they do need to address. I think you're you're dead on, and I think a lot of the the, the mock drafts are are dead on in that regard. I think they do look uh, to add somebody to replace Sammy Watkins because he's uh, never healthy and frankly not giving them what they need. And neither is Demarcus Robinson. Um, so yeah, congratulations, Tampa Bay. Um, is there anything else from this game you wanted to to kind of touch on? 
Well, I think we can just use this as a transition into our, our prop bet results from our challenge. You had picked Devin White to be the, the Super Bowl MVP, and I think you were right. You just didn't get the votes. <laughs> I, I, Devin White, we already mentioned earlier in the show, he was incredible, but uh, I think you were onto something there. And unfortunately, the voters didn't agree. And unfortunately, um, due to them not agreeing, you didn't make a profit in this prop bet oh, challenge. You lost bummer. 200 uh, units. So, uh, Instead of uh, a buying you an orphan team, what I've decided, I'll give you a consolation prize. I wanted to co-manage. Uh, I wanted to co-manage uh, Dynasty Startup with you at some point. Um, Absolutely, yeah. So I, I will uh, commit the buy-in for year one, as long as you commit to co-managing and co-drafting with me, and then uh, we can run a team together for the show. So if you're in for that, that'll be the consolation prize. I do like that, and just out of curiosity, and you maybe don't know this off the top of my, top of your head. When I was sort of reviewing this in my head as after the pod was over, you know, we did it live. I didn't know what the questions were going to be. Um, uh, one thing I was thinking is I, I basically said on the show, Tampa Bay wins this game outright. Um, what I wish I would have done is asked you to put uh, that bet on the money line instead of on the, uh, on the uh, point spread. Um, I don't think that would have switched it if you said I was down 200 units. I'm guessing they were like a plus 130 or something like that in, in terms of betting 100 to get 130 back. So maybe that wouldn't have even swung it the way I'm assuming. But that was Yeah, I don't remember I what the money line was, but it wasn't plus 200 or more. So you right. would have still uh, been down, but it would have been a little closer for sure. Um, yeah, your other big swings, Tom Brady at 20 to 1 to be first touchdown. That would have gotten yeah. you there. If you would have just gotten the Gatorade color right, blue hit at eight to one, they had to Zapruder film that because got <laughs> cut to it late on the game. So yep. we saw a different angle uh, from a fan that cleared it up that it was blue Gatorade. There was a lot of clear steam going on Twitter. People thought it was clear, yep. but it was in fact blue. So eight to one payoff there would have gotten you there. Um, what else uh, you miss on that could have saved you? Most of the other stuff was even money stuff. So. You got the national anthem wrong. You went under. That went way over. Wow, wow. You got the total points wrong. That went over. Um, but yeah, uh, you went picked, way under. Yeah, it, it went under. You you picked over, but it went under. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So that was yeah. Fun. So we'll not very again. good at betting. That's why I don't bet. <laughs> so uh, it was fun, anyways, and I look forward to co-managing a team. Uh, so on the last show, we did our. Uh, our prospect film draft, and uh, we we assigned some more high end players than we kind of you know a lot of the film drafts we've done in the past have been uh, for Senior Bowl in preparation for that, and we wanted to and you know there's good players at the Senior Bowl certainly, but a lot of the best of the best don't go to that game, so uh, we're hitting some more of the top of the class this week. Um, you watched Brevin Jordan, Elijah Moore, and Jalen Waddle. I watched Kyle Pitts, Amon Ross, St. Brown, and Jamar Jefferson. Um, where do you want to – I'll let you start us off here. I want to kind of just have a conversation about these prospects, what you saw, um, and what what you project sort of as draft value and, and potential at the next level. Um, yeah, pick anyone to start with. I think let's uh, get over or get the tight ends out of the way first. Okay, um, I like that. I actually yeah. watched a lot of Kyle Pitts too because I wanted to kind of – switch back and forth games between him and Brevin Jordan uh, just to get some uh, reference yep. points for perspective between the two. Um, I've always uh, liked Brevin Jordan. I've always liked Kyle Pitts. Uh, the community sees a pretty wide gap between these two. Mm -hmm. I, I think maybe I have them further apart in my rankings than I should. I like Kyle, or I like Brevin Jordan an awful lot, man. He, uh, I think he would be talked about, you know, as a borderline first round rookie draft talent. If he was six four, six five, instead right. of six, that six three number is really going to hurt him. And I'm, I, I'm kind of wondering from your perspective, since you've done a lot more tight end research for tight end physical graffiti than I have, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, why is six three a big deal? To me, it's really not. It's been a bigger deal in the past. Certainly, obviously, it helps you um, with contested high throws over the middle. Um, but I think it's becoming less and less of an important uh, measure of the tight end position than um, than ever before. I mean, George Kittle is not 6'6". He's closer to 6'3", 6'4". Uh, Jonu Smith is of that shorter stature. 
Um, Irv Smith, the guy that hasn't really broken out, but is kind of this same blend of player. In fact, that's kind of who I see in Brevin Jordan. What what really matters to me is not are you bigger than everybody you play against? Are you this Gronk sort of Herculean sized athlete? Um, but more so, can you play with proper leverage and can you you know really use good hand technique at the top of your routes? You know, they showed this in the game with uh, with Travis Kelsey and Levante David, who also, by the way, in the Super Bowl, we didn't we didn't mention his name. He played a whale of a game as well. Basically yeah. manned up with Kelsey all game. Um, and and Romo and, and uh, Michaels did a really good job um, showing this where they talked about most linebackers in that situation where Kelsey's running right at them. They back up. Levante David did not back up today or last night. Excuse me. He played right at four and a half, four yards, physical with Kelsey. And frankly, Kelsey really didn't have an answer. And, you know, Kelsey, as I said in tight end physical graffiti, kind of breaks the mold on what tight ends are expected to do and how they're expected to win. Um, But at the end of the day, could not match up with that physicality. And I think that's really what matters to me more than how big they are. Can they play with leverage? Are they physical at the top of routes? Can they... At the very least, even if you're not just throwing people around, can you separate uh, defenders' hands from your body so they can't hold you in and out of breaks? Can you do these little things? That's what it comes down to me more. And in the film I've watched of Brevin Jordan, he does that at, a, at at least a you know competent level, I think. Yeah, I, I actually um, was probably more impressed from him in that regard than I was Pitts even. I, yes. I yeah. see Brevin Jordan as a better route runner. I see him getting a lot more separation. What I Same. don't see him doing is what Pitts can do is the crazy contested catches, the mm-hmm. the wow plays. But Jordan, he's not just like a, a Mike Gusecki uh, big slot either, the kind of tight end that you don't like. Uh, he's He splits his time about 50% in line and then he yep. does leave the line of scrimmage and and play kind of that big slot but um i think he can really do either one and he really impressed me as a blocker he's a willing blocker he's an aggressive blocker um yep. for for a bit of an undersized tight end i don't think the size is going to concern me as much because he can still do the the kind of the yeoman's work job that a tight end is yep. required to do in the nfl so i do really like him and i came away from the film liking him you know more than i even thought i did going in so i I was really happy with Brevin Jordan. Yeah, I'm very impressed. And just real quick, so we are going to have the uh, rookie rankings up on the site probably by the time people listen to this. Kind of where do you have Brevin Jordan right now um, in terms of your dynasty rookie rankings, both tight end? I think you've got him tight end too, but where do you got him kind of in your overall big board? Yeah, right now I have him 25th, so borderline second round pick yep. near the end of near the end of round two, start of round three. He's in my fifth tier. Um, I... I'll, I'll pull up my rankings real quick for context. In my tier five, I got Trey Lance, Jamar Jefferson, Dwayne Eskridge, Deami Brown, Elijah Moore, all kind okay. of that same area. Yep, and we both have him in tier five, about in, in frankly, in about the exact same spot. Um, I think I'm a couple spots below you, but he's definitely but my tight end too. I like him uh, better than Fryermuth, and you know I think you hit all all the salient points on him in terms of. Um, at least hitting at least enough of the thresholds in terms of uh, the physicality side of the tight end position to think that he can develop into a good pro. Um, frankly, we're going to we're gonna wait a couple years on him. I really believe that. It's not going to be an instant year one hit. You're going to be um, kind of buckled in for, you know, a developmental project. But um, that's kind of my big hesitation with Kyle Pitts, who's, who's the next guy, you know, you, you said let's knock off the tight end, so I'll just dive right into Pitts. Um Yes, I, I think that there is a, a tremendous amount of upside in Kyle Pitts. And you mentioned it, the wow catches, the contested catches, um, the acrobatic catches where he's, you know, for a 6'6", 240-pound player, uh, the ability to kind of stop and adjust and, and fall, you know, fall one direction or the other to catch a ball, to adjust to a ball, it really is sort of exceptional, I would say, for a guy his size. Um I think he's really, really good on in-breaking routes, slants, uh, deep crossers or middle crossers. Um, But, you know, I think the big thing with Kyle Pitts, and I've said this before, you know, this idea of him being a generational prospect, I see way too many warts on him for him to be considered a generational prospect. I don't know. I'm going to bring you in here a little bit. I know 
I don't want I don't want uh, a, a token answer of I don't know. That's a hard thing to judge. Watching Kyle Pitts, what type of athlete? What what would you expect him to run in the in the forty at the combine? Um, I I don't have historic. I'm not privy to historical tight end data. I don't track that nearly as much as you. But just uh, kind of off the top of my head, I test. Yeah, uh, maybe you know four eight. Yeah. Four seven, and I think that's okay. So yeah, you saw similar things that I did, which is that this is not Evan Ingram in terms of an athlete. It's not George Kittle in terms of an athlete. Um, he is not some super um, yoked up sort of unbelievable runner. Um, you, like you look at a guy like Chase Claypool last year who ran four four two, and you put on Chase Claypool's tape, they're almost the exact same size, and I see an infinitely better athlete in Chase Claypool. Now you're saying they don't play the same position, and while that's sort of true, they kind of will at the next level. We're expecting Kyle Pitts to be Travis Kelsey, who is not a traditional tight end. He is essentially a wide receiver. They isolate him backside of formations. They'll go three wide to one direction, Kelsey backside, get him isolated on a corner, and it's it's a layup, basically. We're asking him to hit an outlier skill set, and I just... You know, it's important to be right in this business. It absolutely is. You want to be right as often as possible. But more so than being right, I want to understand all of the risks and possibilities and different outcomes that could exist with all of these prospects. And yes, one of them absolutely is that Kyle Pitts is a tight end one at some point in his career, the tight end one in his at some point in his career. But I think that there's going to be much more of a growth curve than everybody else is. And I'll say right now, he's my tight end one. I have him at seventh overall, which is actually a spot above you, Newts. So I'm willing to dive all in because I don't believe you win fantasy championships with the tight end eight overall or the running back 15 and 27 over. You don't win that way. You do need to chase, to some degree, upside players like this. So I am, I'm fully in for... Um, taking him at his market ADP if this is as high as it goes. I think it may be even a slight higher, you know, bit higher than this. But I just want people to understand on the front end all of the possible outcomes. I think that this is one of the riskier draft picks in the first round, and I think people are treating it the exact opposite way, that it's one of the safer picks that you could make in the first round. And that's really where my um, disillusionment with the, you know, overall dynasty community's valuation of Kyle Pitts as, you know, kind of everybody else. What do you think well, about that? Well, and I think this is where team building strategy uh, is a worthwhile discussion. Yeah. If, if yeah, I'm yeah. a contender, if I've got a ready-made roster to go out and make the playoffs and make a run, if I don't need to find a starting running back in my rookie draft, if I don't need to find a starting wide receiver in my rookie bet draft, I'm targeting Kyle Pitts. I'm trying to get him on my team because I can afford to kind of redshirt my draft pick. And mm-hmm. same with Brevin Jordan at the end of the second round. If you just won the championship and you got – the 12th pick in the second round, what a perfect guy to add to your roster. You don't need to contribution from him right away because you already got a pretty gosh darn good team. So go out and uh, take Kyle Pitts, uh, take Brevin Jordan. You can wait a year. I I assume you already got a pretty good tight end to start for you year one. Mm -hmm. And he can be your bye week fill-in. And then he can, you know, take over for Travis Kelsey if Travis Kelsey is who won you the championship. And you're right. So yeah. if I'm a championship team or if I'm, you know, the guy that was in the semifinals, Kyle Pitts is a guy that I'm very interested in. But if I'm, uh, you know, a rebuilding team, if if I need to find a starting running back in this draft, if I need to start find a starting wide receiver in this draft, or at least guys that could um, that I need to be kind of in the conversation uh, in the you know group of guys to start for me. And I'm just trying to get better right away to improve my lot in life. Then maybe I'm I'm not so much targeting Kyle Pitts. Well, and I think, you know, the important thing is what you really said there is I don't think Kyle Pitts is the type of piece that you want to necessarily stake your whole rebuild around. That's not where I'm looking to start a rebuild. Now, you know, the, the best way to rebuild is to just take the best player available when your turn comes up. You know, yes, you can move around and do those sorts of things, but to just take the best player available. So I'm not saying as a rebuilder, you couldn't take Kyle Pitts. That's true. What I am saying is I don't want anybody to stake their rebuild in Kyle Pitts. BPA all day, absolutely. I just think you're going to see a dip in his value before you see it rise above his current value pre 
week one. He's yeah. going to be the kind of guy if you if you do like a value chart for him, it's going to be at a point when week one starts, and I think it's almost certainly going to go down before it it climbs back up from where it started. And I assume it's going to climb. It's just you're going to take a value dip before it spikes, almost certainly, which is what happens with most tight ends. I tend to agree, and I don't know how much everybody or our listeners feel about player comps. The guy that I really uh, that I really saw when I watched him was actually more Zach Ertz than, frankly, than Travis Kelsey, um, just with how good he is on in-breaking routes, the contested catches, but sort of the lack of that vertical uh, separation, that vertical speed. So that was kind of the comp that I had. Kelsey's a good one if you just want to talk about where his upside lies. I think that's fair. Um, Kyle Pitts, a guy that I'm, I'm again, I'm all in for, um, but I just want people to understand sort of the full picture of, uh, the highest guy for either of us we have on the board is Jalen Waddle. Why don't you take him into him? We got a few wide receivers to knock out here. Yeah. When I first did my rookie rankings, I was really torn on whether to include him in my tier one or my tier two. I initially put him in tier two, but then I started watching back a bunch of his 2019 film and you know what? I, I don't feel bad about having them right behind Devonta Smith in the same tier. Uh, they're very similar players. They're both yep. incredibly fast. And yeah, I we're, we got to downgrade Waddle a little bit because of the broken ankle that cost him most of 2020. But on tape, I don't see a huge difference between him and Devonta Smith. He's a freak. And if anything else, or if anything, I'm almost tempted to put him ahead of Devonta in my rankings because yes, he's slight of frame, but he's not as slight of frame. He's right. like an in shorter but 10 15 pounds yeah way heavier thicker. so way I'm, I'm a little more optimistic about him holding up to nfl contact than i even am devonta smith and uh, this is a dude that would run i, I gotta imagine he's a sub 4 4 40 guy he, his speed shines on field and yes like we've mentioned with Najee harris in the past degree of difficulty is uh-huh. lower, especially in 2019 when you have Smith, you got Ruggs and Jerry Judy taking up uh, other, you know, maybe more prominent defenders. So like those guys, you grade them on a bit of a curve, but he's beating his defender consistently almost every snap. Like, I, I don't know where Alabama's getting all these athletes, but they're getting a different... <laughs> They're getting a different breed than uh, the rest of the NCAA. It's it's insane how much more athletic he looks than all the defenders he plays against at this level. Yeah, spoiler alert, three of our top four players and are basically the three out of the top four in our top tier are all from Alabama. And you know what? It's not going to change. I watched signing day. Uh, what was that? Thursday, National Signing Day. I believe it was Thursday. Maybe it was Tuesday. It was one of the days last week. Uh, Alabama, 22 more from the ESPN top 300. It's being called uh, one of the, the best college recruiting classes of all time. Um, I don't think that bothers me. Come yeah. on, be unique. Go somewhere else. Make a name for yourself in a different program. This is kind of why I hate college football. I need to rant a little bit. I'm so sick of the same teams over and over again. Go to Minnesota or somewhere else. Just make be a legend for yourself. Don't be just a, a lemming. Yeah, I, I can't totally disagree with you. I think if I was a college prospect, I probably wouldn't go to the big. Well, I don't know. You know what? I, I take that back. Well, no, a lot of them what? are doing it for a business decision. You're right. trying to make the NFL. And if you're treating it that way, then I don't blame you. And I, uh, that's I, just kind of why the, the the pomp and circumstance of college football and how it's pure and for the school and your student athletes, that's BS. Well, that it's a business true. for these guys. And that's that, why I don't care about it. That part's true. I kind of like the idea of that there's sort of tiers to the levels of college football and that the Michigans and the Alabamas and the Ohio States and, you know, those type of teams. Give, I'm, I'm okay with that whole point. In fact, I kind of like that part, the traditional teams um, always being able to be to some degree competitive. Uh, the other part you mentioned, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of in agreement with you. Uh, Jalen Waddle, you know, top 15 in the NFL draft? I mean, how high do you think he could potentially go? Yeah, there's going to be a team that's extremely enamored by him, much the way the Raiders were enamored by Ruggs, much the way someone else will be equally enamored by Devonta Smith. He could go as high as, yeah, where Ruggs went last year. It just takes one team to fall in love with him, and I think it would be hard not to see someone – taking a leap of faith on him. I, I think he's he could easily be more valuable than Devonta Smith um, after year one. He could 
climbed pretty high in our overall wide receiver rankings. I, I think he's a special talent. So, yeah, I, I would be surprised if he didn't go in the top 20 of the draft. So, okay, so he's tier one, your fourth wide receiver overall. So we have him in the exact same spot. Um, really the only one that would concern me is I have seen him mocked a little bit to the New York Giants. Yeah, um, I don't want that. Yeah, I wouldn't be crazy about that. Certainly the Giants do need some skill position players. Um, but I just I don't trust Daniel Jones. Uh, before I move on to Amon Ross St. Brown, I'm sorry, you didn't have anything else you wanted to get out on Jalen Waddle, did you? No, not really. I think okay. we touched on all the important stuff. Okay, so I'm on Ross St. Brown. So I watched a bunch of USC today. I watched uh, Oregon, UCLA, Washington State, and then I watched his Colorado and Notre Dame games from 2019. Uh, before I get into him real quick, just some sort of spillover scouting that I did. Uh, I wanted to get my eyes on Elijah Vera Tucker. I made sure, uh, for, for those who don't know that name, that's uh, the offensive tackle out of USC. He's a projected top 20, you know, for sure, first-round pick. Um, wanted to get my eyes on him because he's a guy that I've been really kind of thinking for the Vikings makes a lot of sense. Uh, I didn't look up his number, and it didn't take me very long to find him. Uh, big number 75 out there. He moves really well. He, frankly... Um, I've watched a little Rashawn Slater. Obviously, we didn't get to see Penny Sewell this year, uh, but he's obviously about as blue chip as they come. Uh, Vera Tucker, to me, moved into that tier kind of just as a, a guy that I was watching while I was watching St. Brown. Uh, and then Demetric Felton, I saw the the UCLA game, as I said. Uh, frankly, he was the best, game, uh, best player in that game for probably three quarters um, before USC made a late comeback. So, um, just kind of a guy that he keeps growing on me a little bit and a little bit uh, at a time. Um, I'm on St. Brown, though. Boy, um, so there's it's kind of a tale of two, two years here. The 2019 tape, to me, was fantastic. Um, he looked absolutely explosive in the Colorado game. They gave him a just straight-up handcuff from a shotgun formation, uh, and he took it like 65 yards to the house. Um, he seemed like... He had gained some weight into the 2020 season. I saw a more, uh, you know, better wiggle at the top of routes in 2019. He looked just a little bit lighter from a frame perspective. Um, but boy, uh, you watch that Washington State game, and, and I'm on Raw St. Brown. Excuse me, God, it's a mouthful, isn't it? Um, yes. He really showed me some stuff. And you know what? Um, obviously, he's going to get some comparisons to his brother. I think I, I was expecting to see a boundary outside go deep contested catch uh, type player when I, you know, watched him or when I, you know, turned the tape on, he is very much more of this big slot prototype that me and you have kind of fallen in love with in recent years. Um, certainly not quite to that AJ Brown level, but the guy that I really saw when I watched him was Chris Godwin. Um, there was a catch he made along the sidelines that was almost identical to the, to the non catch that Godwin made in the Super Bowl where, uh, he's falling backwards, out of bounds, and the body control to maintain possession. Um, I was really impressed with Amon Ross St. Brown. Uh, better after the catch than I, for sure, that was the biggest thing that stood out to me, was that, you know, Equinemius is this long, rangy, certainly long strider, can eat up yards if there's space there, but it's not going to really make anybody miss. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, not that guy. He can make people miss in a phone booth. He can break tackles. So that was the first and probably the most impressive thing that I saw. I think he's that new age prototype Juju Smith-Schuster, another USC guy, kind of reminds me of him a little bit. Um, really a sharp player. I thought he was um, somebody that moved up my board as much as really anybody has through film, film study. I think kind of the question marks on him, obviously Michael Pittman uh, came out of USC last year, so he was somewhat overshadowed by Pittman. And then this year they add five-star uh, recruit Brew McCoy. Drake London takes a huge step forward. And then Tyler Vaughn's this just sort of perennially good but not great. There's nothing spectacular there, but a guy that keeps making plays. Um, he never really totally you know, took control of this offense. It was never really the best player in it. And that does give me some concerns at the next level. But at the same time, that's kind of who I expect him to be, a really, really good number two. Um, I was impressed. He moved from my wide receiver 15, I believe, to my wide receiver eight, uh, basically in the same tier as guys like Terrence Marshall, uh, Kadarius Toney, um, my 14th player overall. I, I came away uh, blown away. Have you had a chance to watch Amon Ra and what are your kind of takeaways on, on him? 
Yeah, unfortunately, he's one of the guys that I still haven't done a lot of work on, but I definitely, after your glowing endorsement, need to <laughs> to collect some uh, time watching him on film. Uh, yeah, I don't know why if I've been hesitant to really dive into him just because of his brother doesn't interest me at all, but I, I shouldn't let That's, those w- yeah. weird biases stop me from just automatically discounting someone's well, that's, fault that his brother is. No, kind of that's what I expected to see was this, this Seth Williams or Nico call these big, long physical, but can't separate from anybody type. That's who I expected to see. Cause that's who Equinemius is. He's not, I don't, I don't have the measurements right in front of me. I don't think he's nearly that tall. He's a, he's thir- certainly well built. He's a thick player. Um, but in terms of being this like guy who's just a jump ball contested catch, and by the way, uh, some of the best plays he had were contested. He had a one-handed catch in the Notre Dame game in the in the four touchdown game I mentioned against Washington State. Two of them were were with guys just draped all over him. Um, that's definitely something he has. Um, but that's not all he is, and I sort of think that's where the disconnect is. Is that I sort of think that's what people think of him. Um, I was really impressed, and and it made me kind of go back real quick before I uh, let you get on Eli Moore here. Uh, it made me want to watch a little Terrace Marshall because this is a guy that I see in that same big slot type role. And just comparing and contrasting the two, I do think there's a little bit more explosion in terms of at the top of the route, a little more wiggle setup in terms of uh, the stem of the route with Terrace Marshall. But I came away thinking that they were much more similar players, or at the very least that they could fulfill a very similar role in a very similar way at the NFL level. So um, I only did two games on Terrace. I just kind of wanted to get a look at him because I felt like that's sort of where Amon Ra was pushing into. And I I feel like comparing the two sort of validated that. Um, Eli Moore, Elijah Moore, excuse me, out of uh, Ole Miss. uh, Next guy up, you had him. He's a guy that I've honestly had uh, no chance to watch. And what I asked from you on the show was, um, can he be a wide receiver one? Because, in fact, uh, just today, Lance Zerline put out a mock that had him going to Washington at 19 overall. Oh, um, wow. Is he a wide receiver one overall prospect at the next level was kind of what I want. So why don't you start there? Well, real quick before I answer your question, uh, sure. just to clean up, uh, I, while you were talking, I looked, and, yeah, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, 6'1", Equinamia, 6'5", so Six, right. four-inch yes. four difference there. Um, but, yeah, as far as Elijah Moore, um, I wasn't super familiar with him, but if you're to answer your question, can he be a wide receiver one? I don't think so. Yeah. Um, I, I pick 19 surprised me. I, I texted our buddy Perry, who is a Packer fan. Uh, keep an eye on Elijah Moore as maybe a guy to, to watch for in the mid rounds. If you Day don't two, take yeah. someone in the first round mm-hmm. as kind of a guy that I think would be a good fit there. And I had kind of a, a lucky day or weekend watching film because I came away liking almost everyone. I watched more <laughs> than what I expected him included. I yep. like Elijah Moore, but you know, he's five, nine. So probably pigeonholed into the slot, but he, He's kind of built for for a short guy. Like he can make stuff happen after the catch. So I do like him, but he's not really the kind of guy I can see a team building their passing game around. I think he's a, a you know a number two um, probably at best. But I do like a lot of the things I saw. He he's uh, actually got really good hands. There's a few. Uh, catches that he made that were damn near impressive like his quarterback i can't remember his name but wasn't the most accurate gentleman in the in the college football landscape and he he threw a pretty hard worm burner worm burner at him that he somehow basically caught with his fingertips (laughs) an inch off the ground and was able to keep his momentum going forward and basically didn't slow him down at all and i saw a few other pretty impressive grabs so I came away liking him. They used him a lot and you know, the motions, the, you know, jet action stuff. Um, they used him as a return man. So he's going to find his way into some touches on in, in the NFL level right away. But the thing we've talked about so many times is there aren't that many jobs open in the league. So yeah. I think his draft status is going to take a hit because of that. Uh, I got him at a wide receiver 12 in this class. I did move him up a few spots after watching his film. But when you're talking about the wide receiver 12 in the rookie class and all the free agents and all the jobs that are open, is he going to find himself into early playing time? I don't think so. So um, it's kind of a delayed asset. If you will, like we talked about with the tight ends, the value is going to drop before it rises again. So, Keep that into account. Don't reach too far on him. 
Um, I kind of compared him to Sterling Shepard. I'm not huge on comps, but that's kind of who he reminded me of. Okay. Yeah, no, I think that one makes a lot of sense. So here's, I think, the interesting question here. Kadarius Toney, Elijah Moore, Amari Rogers. I think are all very similar players, yet in dynasty value right now, I feel like all fall in very different places, both for us and for the community. Is there something on tape that you can, you know, you've watched Tony. I know we both watched Amari Rogers at the senior bowl. In fact, we've both watched Tony. I don't know that I have a great answer for this. I'll be honest with you. Is it athleticism? Is it hands? What is separating? Because they all feel like this same slot, undersized, kind of pigeonholed, like you said, into this one role. Why are we valuing them significantly differently, do you think? You're right. Maybe there's a bigger gap than there ought to be. And I am, um, I'm probably higher on Tony than most people even are in my rankings. I, I, I don't know the right way to articulate it, but when I watch Tony, I just, it's more of a feel thing to me. Like he, he consistently wows me more than these other guys. Okay. I feel more confident that what he does well will translate to the next level, that his athleticism is pure enough to where he can be a, a difference maker um, in that same role at the next level. I'm just, I think it's more of a level of confidence for me. Okay. No. And I think that makes sense. I think, you know, without having watched Elijah Moore, I've watched Amari Rogers and Kadarius Tony. So in just terms of those two, for me, I see a significantly more juiced up athlete in Kadarius Tony. And I know Amari Rogers came in as a five-star uh, to Clemson, he was, you know, an excellent athlete in his own right. I just see with the pads on, Tony make cuts that Amari Rogers doesn't make. Tony Agreed. explode in ways that. I, so I guess that's sort of what I'm asking. Do you think, you know, maybe then compare them on the other end to Elijah Moore and Amari Rogers? Do you see significantly more juice in Elijah Moore, or are we may be overvaluing this guy, um, depending upon obviously if that draft capital at 19 were correct, we're undervaluing him. I just there's. It seems like there's a few of these type players and we're valuing them very differently when I don't see a huge difference difference in skill set. Yeah, it, it comes down to flash, I think, a little bit, too, where more flashes. Uh, Rogers didn't really flash that much to me, to be honest. And maybe I got to watch a little more film on him. But um, I, I watched a lot of Trevor Lawrence games and Rogers. I, I just he never really like, oh, wow, I got, who's that? And I got to go back and you know check mm-hmm. out more of that. So he, it just seemed, I don't know, a little more ordinary to me. And may, I don't know, maybe he's just kind of a silent killer. Doesn't blow you away. Just gets the gets, gets it done yeah, yeah i don't know i i do maybe there's something worth thinking about a little bit more but absolutely yeah. well, well then i'll dive into uh, another guy that like you i was borderline uh impressed with everybody uh that i watched this week in fact i would say just about everybody other than kyle pitts who was already very high went up a couple spots uh the next guy that went up is jamar jefferson oregon state <laughs> Um, I think I had him at RB7 prior to this. He's now up to RB5, my 15th overall player. Um, he's in this same tier with Amon Ross St. Brown, Terrace Marshall, Kadarius Toney. Um, and I also wanted to watch. So after I watched him, I didn't want to make the same mistake I made the week that I watched Ramondre Stevenson, which is basically not knowing if I felt comfortable putting a guy like that, whose tape I also liked, over a guy like Kenny Gainwell, who we haven't seen play for a, a, a full year. So um, I wanted to knock out Gainwell's film, too, um, while I was at it. And frankly, um, came away very, very impressed. So um, I'll, I'll leave him to the side for right now. But I can't get Jefferson over uh, Gainwell at this point. I watched the Oregon, ASU, Stanford, and Cal games. Um, and Jefferson, you know, for looking like a smaller running back, um, he's an exceptionally physical runner and has good contact balance. I say he looks small. Uh, he definitely is not. I think he weighs in at t- like 217. Uh, he's just one of these really tightly wound athletes that doesn't look as heavy as they actually are. Um, but in terms of being a bigger back, I didn't see really um, power in the, in the you know conventional sense of you know just running over people, pushing the pile three, four yards after first contact. I saw a guy, though, who could absorb contact and keep moving, could break tackles, essentially, much more of that Kareem Hunt style um, where you're not running over people. You're sort of absorbing and, and breaking tackles. Um, but the pass game usage is, is somewhat concerning. 
Um, they played a bunch of games in, in Corvallis where Oregon State is at. Uh, a lot of rain games that I saw. So there was some ball security issues. Uh, but that's it's frankly not something um, – obviously it will concern NFL coaches if it continues to happen at the next level. Not something that's a huge part of my evaluation tools, though. Um, but ultimately, I came away very impressed with Jamar Jefferson in terms of the bigger backs that are behind Najee Harris and Javante Williams. Um, when you look at Trey Sermon, you look at Ramondre Stevenson, um, you know, start going down the line. I think he has the most burst and long speed of that kind of second tier. Um, and so that's why I like him. He hits the thresholds in terms of size I'm looking for, and he has the best burst of kind of that grouping. So um, he really solidified his ranking uh, to me as the next guy behind the top four. Um, and that was because, like I said, Kenny Gainwell would not relinquish that number four pick. He's a hard guy to evaluate. I'll, I'll be really honest with you. Um, the size is going to be a huge question mark. Now, I think it's important to remember with Gainwell that, yes, he's listed on the Memphis page at a certain size. He's had a full year off to do nothing but train. I kind of imagine that he's not going to come into the Memphis Pro Day or wherever he gets evaluated um, at that same size. So kind of how big has he gotten and, you know, what does he look like coming into the Pro Day? I think that'll be one of the more important ones to watch. Um, but when you just watch him as a player, um, I mean, boy, in the Penn State game, they basically played him at wide receiver all game, and he was just cooking guys, not necessarily downfield, but was just this consistent option on quick little outs, quick crossing routes where they could get him the ball. Frankly, they didn't get a lot going with him um, as like a single back hand him the ball in that game, but he did have a couple really nice wildcat runs. Um, in terms of what tape I was able to watch, that was certainly the highest level of competition I saw. Uh, the other ones were South Alabama, Louisiana, Monroe, and Tulsa. Um, and, you know, he did what you would expect a guy who's going to go on, you know, within the first 50 to 60 picks of the NFL draft to do against teams like that. And he um, he kind of whooped them. He's got a really good spin move. There was a, probably one of the nicer runs I've seen any back, back make was uh, against Tulsa in the fourth game up on the uh, Nerd Herd film room. Um, guy basically gets a free look at him in the backfield and he spins off of it and um, breaks it to the house for a touchdown. So um, now that I've hit Kenny Gainwell, I've basically got the top 10 running backs, the film knocked off. So I feel pretty good about um, how I have these guys arranged. Do you feel, I mean, Kenny Gainwell is a small back. How much does that concern you? Um, Is this a PPR only play for you? Or do you think he's a play that can work in standard leagues as well? I don't like to say guys are PPR only or mm-hmm. not because they're, you know, it, it does affect their value some. Uh, and, 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 you know, it's, it's going to put a ceiling on his ranking for me. So um, right. it depends on kind of where I'm at in the team building phase. Like I mentioned with the tight ends, if I, if I feel like I need to kind of make a home run pick, or if I just want a, a guy that I feel pretty confident in, I'm pretty confident Kenny Gainwell is going to be a good NFL player. I'm just not super optimistic about him ever reaching that top tier. That high ceiling, right. That I high mean- ceiling. Yep, the comp I gave was was Gio Bernard. I think that's who he reminded me of, um, that same explosion, that same burst. Maybe he can even align wide a little bit better than than Gio ever could. Obviously, he was a great pass catcher out of the backfield, but you didn't see them moving him around into the slot a ton, a little bit, but not a ton. Um, I think Gainwell can do a little more of that. Um, he's certainly an interesting skill set and an interesting profile, Um Obviously, with great breakout age, he's still very, very young. Um, and obviously, the pass-catching profile is what, what we kind of look for first and foremost in a lot of these running backs these days because PPR uh, is so prevalent. Um, but the size is a major concern. Whether or not he can take more than 40% of a backfield is is definitely a concern. I think he's a – you know, back, get back to the conversation of safe picks. I do think he's one of the safer picks. I think his range of outcomes – um, is very, very narrow. I think he's going to be a good RB2 to a good RB3 for a four-year stretch, five-year stretch in his career, something like that. Um, always a guy you want on your team, never a guy who's winning you championships. I think that's worth something, though, in the, the early to mid-second round where uh, we kind of both have him valued. Yeah, absolutely. You need guys like that on your roster. It's an easy, like so many people, they churn some of those important depth players and four-for-one trades all the time. And then yep. when they get a injury or two, then they're 
screwed. They're starting guys off a dynasty waiver wire, which is yep. never where you want to be. Dynasty waiver wires are not a fun place to try and find <laughs> starting lineups. So, yeah, you need guys like Kenny Gainwell on your dynasty teams. Absolutely. Right on. Well, should we do our uh, film draft for the for the next show on well for the Monday show, I should say. Um, uh, why don't we save that for Thursday just cause, uh, we haven't come up with a theme yet necessarily for oh, our, good our, call. Our, our film draft. I like that. No, good call. All right. Well then, uh, on Twitter, I'm at dynasty Oasis. Uh, Newt's is at, uh, nasty Newt. Sorry. I couldn't remember your handle there for a second. <laughs> all right. Uh, please look us up on any of the major, uh, podcasting platforms. Give us a five-star rating review. Please hit subscribe. Uh, go check out Dynasty Oasis. Like I said, we have all of our all of our Dynasty rankings up there. But um, new to the site, as you're listening to this now, will be uh, rookie rankings. Uh, we'll have those up on the show. Um, and Newt's has a great article about who's the uh, quarterback two in this upcoming rookie class. So um, I know you did a lot of work on that, and I'm actually excited to read that right after we get off of here. Um, why don't you go ahead and get us out of here on a birthday, Newt's? Yeah, good football birthday today. It's uh, Julio Jones turns 32 today. Nice. So happy birthday, Julio. Yeah, define all of the age cliffs, old Julio Joneses. Yeah, one of these rookie uh, quarterbacks that uh, we've talked about could end up in Atlanta throwing the ball to Julio Jones. So um, happy birthday, Julio. We hope for a few more productive uh, fantasy seasons out of you. Well, I was just going to say, before we move on, uh, does he have another wide receiver one season in him? Yes or no? No, unfortunately no. not. Yeah, that's sort of how I feel too. He's got a couple good top twenty. I really left. wanted to say yes, but I just couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't. No, I can't. Yeah, I, I don't blame you. All right. Well, that was our show for today. On Thursday, we'll be doing uh, NFC South uh, recap. We'll be doing our game draft, and I don't know. Maybe we'll we'll find something else to do. But uh, for sure, those two things. Um, thank you very much for listening and Newt's. I look forward to talking to you then. Yeah. And, uh, we might work on, uh, doing a little mock draft here for uh, oh, the NFL go, yeah. draft first round. I think Josh and I are going to do a combo mock draft back and forth. So that should be fun. Hopefully we'll get that to the website before Thursday. Maybe we can recap that a little bit on our next show. So looking good forward idea. to it. Have a good week. Let's, uh, enjoy the off season, I guess. Yep. <laughs> Time to start the grind and, uh, Tampa Bay, congrats on the Super Bowl. Yeah, congrats, Tom and Tampa and Antoine Winfield and Tyler Johnson. That's right. Sky, you have a good week. Peace out.